In this episode of the Business of E-Commerce, we talk about the legal aspects of running an e-commerce business. This is the Business of E-Commerce, Episode 8. Welcome to the Business of E-Commerce, the podcast that helps internet retailers start, launch, and grow their e-commerce business. I'm your host, Charles Pulaski. I'm here today with Richard Charpo to talk about the various aspects of the legal aspects of running an e-commerce business. Richard has been a lawyer for over 24 years. He focuses on internet businesses and helps his clients minimize their potential exposure to lawsuits. Richard provides legal advice to clients as large as multinational corporations and as small as hobby bloggers. Richard is well-versed in a variety of internet laws, so I've invited him on the show today to talk about the various aspects of running an e-commerce business. So Richard, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me on. Yeah, great to have you today. And um, for starters, could you tell us a little bit about yourself and how do you kind of get into um, the legal aspects of internet businesses? Sure. Uh, let's see. I became a lawyer in uh, 1992 and started practicing uh, in the field of litigation, quite a bit of business litigation, uh, also some wrongful death work. Um, burned out on it, quite honestly, <clears throat> Excuse me, in the late 1990s. <clears throat> and took a one-year uh, sabbatical overseas in Siberia, of all places. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. Came back from there and uh, had a friend who had become CEO of an internet company. And if you remember back to the uh, you know, the turn of the century, internet companies were quite a bit different than they are today. Um, you could pretty much call anything an internet company, have no plan, and people would still invest in you. Uh, um, <clears throat> this company was a bit better, but uh, he was looking for legal services, couldn't find anybody that he liked, and uh, introduced me to the subject. And reading up on it. Next thing you know, I started pressure on. I've been doing it ever since. Great. Okay. And then where are you located currently? In California? Yep. I'm down in San Diego. Uh, you know, where we get the of 65 every winter. Uh, but yeah, I've been in San Diego um, the last 25, 30 years. Okay. And you mostly work with clients here in the States or is it international? What's your kind of client base look like? My client base is mostly in California. Um, by state, not by uh, and you know national license, and so uh, clients that have are in California or have questions about California law, uh, and those clients can obviously be based in California. Uh, quite a few international clients, clients in Japan, Singapore, Europe, that kind of a thing. They're, they're t- typically looking to uh, try to access the U.S. market, which is why they hire me, so they comply with U.S. laws. Hmm. Excellent. So, kind of for starters, when you first start talking to a client, what are some things you would look at? Um, new client, let's say, um, you know, they want to be protected. Um, what are some of the first steps you start looking at when you're talking to a new client? Uh, well, the first thing is always to take a look at their site or their app, you know, to get a, get a listing for that and make sure you understand exactly what it is, um, you know, that they're doing and then talk to them sort of globally about, you know, what their goals are, what their original goals were, how they've evolved because after a few years, you know, people can, can swerve one way or the other. Um, so you want to make sure you know what that is and then to have an idea of, you know, where they want to go, um, you know, what their target markets are and things of that sort. The thing you're seeing with the internet is it's, it's being partitioned up by countries. Uh, I call this era of the internet, the empire strikes back. Um, and so it, it really depends on, you know, who they're targeting. If they're targeting a, a market in the EU primarily, you know, then the concerns are significantly different than if they're targeting a market in the U.S. Uh, or, or if, you know, they're looking at China, for instance. So those are those are big keys. Um, and then just basically, you know, when you review a site or an app, if you're an experienced internet lawyer, um, you have a pretty good idea of, you know, trouble areas. You, know, you often see problems with private policies or terms and conditions, may not be the necessary disclaimers. A variety of those things and kind of create a list and then you know, when I actually meet with a client I have a pretty good idea you know what's at issue and then we'll see if there are any supply surprises in the conversation yeah when you say privacy policies we're seeing um that was, a, that was a recent development right where you have to have sign it kind of some disclosures on every single page um is that a relatively new thing um, well, in the U.S., privacy law is pretty weak um in fact it kind of doesn't even exist there really is no U.S. federal privacy law Unless you're talking about specific areas like health records or children. Um, and But what you have seen is states issue privacy law um, requirements through legislation. And the FTC, who monitors much of the web, has really backed those up. And 
to their credit, private companies are also doing it. Google, um, these groups that, you know, they want to see you have a privacy policy. And so you're, you're seeing people that are doing that to tell my, all my clients to do it. Uh, and to be honest, you want to do it anyways, because it's, it's one of the few legal documents that you can write in plain English, you know, and be transparent to, um, you know, the people who are, are visiting your site or your app. Um, you know, and try and be beneficial to them. What you're seeing now is as we move forward is privacy law is going to become more mandated, particularly dependent on the target market. And you're seeing radical changes, um, you know, and how the web will work based on privacy issues. So uh, the future of privacy is going to be very interesting. And is that something that's strictly uh, state by state or is there any kind of, there's no national law with that, right? There's no national law in the U.S. There is, however, in other countries, um, the Data Protection Regulation is a European privacy law that goes into effect uh, this coming May. And the interesting thing about this this regulation is it says um, that if you target or if you do business with uh, people in the EU, whether they're EU citizens or whether they're just there, um, you have to follow some very strict requirements on privacy, which boil down to things like you have to get explicit consent before you can collect any information from them. Um, you know, you have to give them a right to be forgotten. You have to take all these different steps and the penalties are, you know, something like 24 million, up to $24 million, uh, or 4% of your worldwide growth. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's an ugly little law. The question is, how's it going to apply, you know, beyond the EU borders? Um, you know, as you may recall, a couple hundred years ago, we had a little war here about uh, taxation without representation. Uh, and so the question is, are we going to have regulation without representation? You know, can they enforce that against U.S. companies? Um, well, obviously, Google or somebody like that that has office and servers in the EU, certainly they can enforce. Um, but if you're a retailer, you know, in, in Nevada and you don't do any business with the EU and you have one sale from the EU, you know, can they enforce that against you? Mm, you know, <laughs> the answer in typical lawyer form is maybe. Uh, <laughs> um, and it's going to take, you know, it's going to take 10 years and a, a load of money to litigate it out. Personally, I don't think they're going to have much success, but, you know, you can't really use that as a defense. Um, but, yeah, so it's it's getting a little ugly. The interesting thing is that, so that this has no privacy so Facebook, um, Google, you know, these types of companies, their whole business model is built on sweeping up as much personal information as they can, organizing it, monetizing it, and selling it. I mean, that's what they are. Um, and in the EU, privacy is actually considered a human right, uh, a fun fundamental right if you're an EU citizen. And so in the EU, everything is from not the business, but from the individual. Uh, you know, can you get your information? Can you find out what people are doing with it? Um, can you demand they stop using it? Um, you know, all these different requirements. And so the new data protection regulation that's coming out, it's the first one since 1995. Um, so you can imagine how much the web has changed since then. And it's just a, you know, really just a draconian monster <laughs> that you have to address. Um, and a lot of people are kind of in a panic about it because, you know, the potential fines. Huh. And what is that law actually called? Or what is the kind of term for that? Well, it's, it's a general data protection regulation. It's not a law. It's a regulation. The way the European right. Union works is they issue regulations and directives um, and other things as well. But in this case, those are the two key, key aspects. The directive is essentially a guide for each member state. There are 28 member states. And the member states then issue their own regulations and laws. The regulation, the thing that's coming out now, is actually binding on all of the EU members. And so each EU member will now create their own enforcement agency. Think of like the IRS for privacy. Um, so you're gonna have 20, 28 of these groups and they're all gonna follow the regulation and they're gonna go out and start prosecuting different groups. Now, you know, Germany and France and the EU are very aggressive. Um, the, e, the UK, um, they're aggressive, but they're also sympathetic. So if you're making a good faith effort, the UK traditionally has not really issued big fines. They've just sent you warning letters and tried to work with you to make sure that you get into compliance. Um, you know, whereas France, I mean, France is, France is just, you know, such a different perspective on law uh, and on citizens' rights. So in France, for instance, if you, to give you an example, in France, if you have a child and you post a picture of the child on Facebook, let's say your 10-year-old son, you know, it's his birthday party, uh, in France, you've just broken the law. 
Um, there is actually a, a legislation that says you cannot do that without the consent of uh, the child or a guardian of the child because obviously if you're, they're young, they can't give consent, they don't have the mental capacity. Uh, and the reason is you're violating their privacy rights. Now, to somebody in the U.S., that sounds rather laughable, I would think. Uh, if you yep. go onto Facebook or wherever and you see the zillions of people who post pictures of their kids so their relatives can see it. Um, you know, the, the idea that they just broke the law is kind of laughable. Now the penalty is a thousand francs and, you know, uh, up to a year in jail or something like that. None of which has ever really happened, but gives you an idea kind of the different mentality between, you know, a lot of European jurisdictions in the U.S. Yeah. Huh, and that's something you're seeing in, you think, 2018 that will go into effect? Yes, it goes into effect in May. Okay. Um, May 25th. So what is, what's happened, it actually was enacted at the very end of 2016 um, or spring 2017. just kind of depends how you define it. But um, they gave time for the larger companies to try to address it. The problem is that you have to change a lot of your site to comply with it. And so for those of us who work with smaller businesses, typically what you see when these kind of legal develops happen is you'll see people come out with plugins or code that does it. Uh, because the good old entrepreneurial spirit of Americans, <laughs> you know, they've never seen a, seen a problem they can't profit from. Uh, <laughs> so somebody would release a WordPress plugin, for instance, that takes care of a lot of this. Yep. Uh, and you've seen this in the past with other other laws. Problem is, we're in the middle of January, and we're not seeing it. In fact, we're not seeing any. Um, oh. And the problem is, the GDPR is so complex. You know, I think a lot of developers looking at it and just kind of raising their hands going, I'm not going to deal with this. Yeah. Um, so so the question then becomes, you know, how does a smaller business um, address it? You know, what if you're just starting out or if you're, you know, uh, you know, 50,000 a year in sales, it's your first year. Um, you know, and the answer to that, unfortunately, right now is there really isn't an answer unless you know how to program. Uh, the converse side of that is when May 25th hits. I'd be really surprised if the first parties that, that, you know, the regulators focus on are, you know, mom, and pa's cheese shop.com. Yep. Um, <laughs> you know, could it happen? Sure. But, you know, I mean, realistically, you know, they're going to be looking for bigger fish to fry. Typically what they want to find is a, a well-known company that they can hit so that not only are they generating compliance with that company, but it makes for a good story. Make, make a good example out of them. Kind of that's right. the first big uh, headline. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, that's, I mean, that's exactly it. You know, if Microsoft gets hit, it has a bigger effect than if, you know, uh, you know, Rick Stinky, you know, fishshop.com does. Um, well, so, yeah, they yeah. probably don't want to be looked at as beating up on the little guys while and kind of the un small entrepreneur versus, you know, negligence on right. the Fortune 500s. Well, you know, and I was I was joking about the 200, you know, the war we had 200 years ago. Um, you know, I I would never advise my clients this because it would put them in a hard position. But if it was my site, my own sites, and my response to them is basically, I'm, I'm not going to comply. Come get me. Okay. <laughs> but I'm a lawyer. Yeah. You know, and I'm a, not only my lawyer. <laughs> you but you can't fact. say that. You can't say that out loud. Right. But I can defend myself so I don't incur yep. legal fees and, and, and make, making that fight. So if you're listening to this and you're not a lawyer who can do that, don't take that as a course of action. <laughs> go, to, go talk to a lawyer in your area and, and just get a plan together. And to be honest, part of the plan is going to be risk assessment. You know, yep. and your, how, how much, you know, can you do effectively financially? And then, you know, you, you can buy insurance behind that to try to, you know, create a resource that if you do get hit, you know, there's something there, a resource, financial resource to try to take care of it. Um, you know, the fines are up to $20 million, $24.5 million. They, they do the fines in euros. Um, you know, if you're a small site, you're not going to get hit with a 20, you know. I mean, you could literally probably put a middle finger up to the GDPR <laughs> on your homepage and you're not going to get hit with a $25 million fine yeah. or something like that, sorry. But is um, insurance it, something you can actually do for these sort of things? And, you know, you could take out a policy and just in case. Is that an option? Uh, it is. You're going to have to hunt around to find it. I, I yep. don't know of a company that specifically does it, but, um, you know, that's what you want to be looking for. You know, insurance is often, you know, there's insurance it's like your car insurance, which is a standard automatic policy. And then there are other insurance companies that write specific policies, um, you know, for, you know, custom issues or custom concerns. The, the goal is really to find a broker who knows what they're doing and then just have them go hunt for it, tell them what you need, have them go hunt for it. And then read what they bring back to see if it, you know, covers that. And again, you'd probably want to retain a lawyer for that and have the lawyer read it to make sure that, you know, you have that kind of covered. Read through um, the policy to make so sure that you're actually covered for these sort of regulations uh, and such. Right, because yeah. shockingly, some some insurance policies aren't the easiest of reads. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, interesting. So that's definitely um, some the GDPR coming May 5th this year. Um, definitely looking something to go for. And then also yes. we hear on the state side, the DMCA comes up a lot. I know I've got that question before. And what is it? And, you know, to be honest, I don't really have an exact answer. Um, but that's something here in the States, sure. right? Yes. Well, the good news is uh, this is a positive for businesses, unlike the GDPR. Uh, the DMCA stands for the Digital Millennium Copyright Act. It was enacted in 1998 as a federal law. And what the law is designed to do is address copyright issues online, uh, specifically situations where a user has uploaded content to a website. So if you think about Facebook, um, you know, Facebook is a brilliant business model for many reasons. But one of the reasons is Facebook doesn't actually create anything. Um, you know, the content on Facebook is uploaded by users. Um, and so, you know, they can collect personal information and all that and everything else. But the one big concern is what happens if your user uploads something that infringes on the copyright of other people. It's probably the number one legal claim online uh, because it's, you know, it's easy to copy and republish things. It just is. And, you know, that's kind of the cost of doing business online. But back in 1998, remember, there was no Facebook. I think. Google was still called Backrub. Um, you know, there was we were in the infancy of the web, and so what happened was, is in a small miracle, um, the people in Washington D.C. of the various parties got together and decided they were going to try to create kind of a safe harbor environment for uh, businesses to launch online and um, you know not get just destroyed by legal issues. Um, because obviously copyright is a big one, and everybody, everybody could see it was going to be a big one. Um, so what the Digital Millennium Copyright Act says, it says as long as you are not the person posting the content to your site, um, you cannot be held liable for the copyright infringement based on that content. So um, I go to Facebook. Oh, actually, I go to another site. I see an article I like. I copy the article. I paste it on my Facebook page. Um, I've taken on the article, let's say from, uh, the Los Angeles times, they have a bot that's floating around out there and sees, I posted it to my Facebook page. They go to Facebook and they go to what's called a DMCA agent on Facebook and they send in a complaint. It's called a takedown notice and Facebook receives a complaint. They look at my page, they take down the content and they send me an email saying, Hey, Los Angeles times has complained that, you know, you stole their, your, their article and republished it on the page without permission. At which point I go, oops, you know, I didn't realize that I was creating infringement. Um, and that's typically the end of it. If I want to fight it, you know, I then follow what's called a counter notice and we get into the technical aspects of the GDPR. What listeners need to understand, if you have a business site or something of this sort, is Facebook is immune so long as they follow that process, uh, which means that they cannot be sued for the infringement that I cause. So on your so side, fa- if you have Facebook is immune, but, but, the econ- but the entrepreneur is not from this. Correct. Okay. Correct. So if you have a website or an app and you allow people to leave reviews, post any kind of content, photos, videos, music, anything, um, you want to comply with the DMCA because what's going to happen is if you do that and you designate your agent, which I'll talk about in a second, um, somebody sends in a, a complaint to your agent and your agent gives it to you and you follow the compliance process, you cannot be held liable. Hmm. You just got to, you know, past jail card for copyright infringement for one of the most common complaints that's out there. Um, and so it's a huge benefit and you should definitely comply with it. <laughs> and so compliance this is, is pretty simple. And this is one of the times if third parties are, are putting content on your site. Correct. Then you yes. can't now, if, you, if, if you're putting content on your site, it doesn't, it doesn't protect you. Gotcha. So if you're going out yeah, and, and copying photos and posting when you're no, you're you're out of luck. Uh, but you know, if you're going, most sites these days have some interactivity. There's the idea of getting the, you know the user involved, the visitor involved in the site. Uh, so forums, you know, whatever it is. Uh, and again, even if it's just a comment section, hmm. um, you know, you want to go ahead and, and get them to comply so that, um, or you want to have the DMCA there so that if somebody does post something, something gets through, you know, you're protected. The cost is. Compliance is essentially six bucks, uh, and the six dollars comes from the DMCA agent. So, as part of the compliance process, you have to register a DMCA agent with the Copyright Office, the United States Copyright Office, and they have a website, copyright.gov, um, and the cost is six dollars. Um, the DMCA agent is the person that your website 
designates to receive complaints. So if you've ever had a corporation or an LLC, he designated an agent for service process where legal documents come in. Um, and that's it. That's you know essentially the the big part of it. The thing with the DMC agent, you have to be a little careful with. Is the copyright office changed the regulations a couple of years ago, um, and now you have to list the uh, physical address where the business is run, phone number, and the email address of the agent. Um, this can be a problem if you're working from home. Um, you know, nearly every website has some, well, let's call them fans, um, that you would probably never want to meet in public. Uh, the question becomes, do you want to have that public information out there um, or not? And the good news is you can go out and designate agents, um, designate other people to act as the agent. You can, If you have a lawyer, they will often do it for free. Um, and if you don't have a lawyer, you can use a site like Dean. Agentservice.com. It's an excellent site, excellent service. I should know. I own it. Um, <laughs> you know, and we charge we charge seventy bucks a year to be the what agent. Was, what was the name of that again? It's DMCAagentservice.com. Okay. Not the not the most creative name, but a good service. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Um, but the point is, is to get into compliance with, uh, and you could be the agent yourself. So if you have an office somewhere it's not your home, then, you know, obviously you can list yourself as the agent if you're comfortable with that. Um, just always realize the general rule of the internet. If your name is out there on a site, somebody's going to be able to find yep. it. Um, and even if you try and take it off, you know, they'll still find it because of all the old historical sites, the archive.coms and those yep. kinds of things. The internet archive never forgets. No, it does not. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the DMCA is something that I would definitely, uh, definitely, definitely, definitely recommend any site that allows um, anybody to do anything, you know, submit anything on, uh, take advantage of, uh, because again, it, it really limits a lot of, you know, the risk that you have on operating online. Hmm. And now how about on the other side, it, let's say, because I've heard stories about this um, kind of recently, quite a bit actually, where someone else um, finds their photos or that, that they've taken of their e-commerce products or their descriptions or even Amazon listings or something like that has essentially been ripped off by a third party and they kind of find they've been victim on the other side to um, someone taking their uh, copyrighted material. What do you do in this case if you found someone's kind of violated you? Right. Well, first... You know, you have to determine, is it copyrighted material? Have you actually registered for copyright uh, for the material? And usually the answer is no. Okay. Um, and, and the reason being, just most people don't. <laughs> it's just, it's 35 bucks. It's a pain in the rear. And most people just don't think about the uh, the web boo so quickly that most people just create content and on they go. Um, so if you haven't created, if you haven't registered within 90 days of the creation of the content, um, you would have to prove what's called actual damages. Uh, there are some other and now you'd have to register well, for have every, to some... and sorry, you'd have to register for every particular piece of content. Let's say I took a hundred photos of a hundred different products. I would have to register each one separately as a copyright. Uh, you could register them as a group. Sometimes it depends on the specific item. Um, mm -hmm. So if it was a video, uh, you know, you would have to register each video. If it was a book, you register each book unless it's a, a group. Uh, books all on the same subject. Um, with photos, you often can register them in groups. Um, it just kind of depends on what it is. Uh, the Copyright Office has some pretty good circulars. They're called circulars um, in their help section that, that really describe what's going to happen. Uh, and you'd have to take a look at those. Um, but the key thing is you have to do it within 90 days. If you don't do it within 90 days, um, you have to prove actual damages. And that can be hard because, you know, what's the value of a picture on the web? Um, you know, and that's a legal argument that gets out there. If you do register before the 90-day period rolls by, then you can get what are called statutory damages. And basically what that means is a jury can award between $250 and or $200 and $150,000 per image. Uh, and how that award is rendered depends on a lot of factors that come down to basically, you know, how bad was the infringement? Was it an innocent infringement? You know, the person that did it didn't know what they were doing or was it, you know, malicious and intentional and those kinds of things. Um, so that's, you know, the thing that you have to figure out. The key thing to understand is that you have to have registered the copyright with the copyright office before you can actually sue somebody. Um, so if you haven't done that, you know, you can't sue them. So should you go register? Well, what a lot of people do is they use the DMCA, just as we had discussed. So instead of being the site that has content on it, you would go to whatever sites that you saw your content republished on, and you would file a DMCA takedown notice. You're not going to get any monetary reward or anything, but typically it'll get the content taken down. 
Um, and if it's not a third party website, if you think, um, you know, the site in question was the site that actually copied it. Um, so somebody just, you know, republished your blog on a new you know domain or something of that sort. Then what you want to do is look up their host. Okay. Uh, and complain, complain to their host and the hosts are very reactive and they'll usually, you know, move it pretty quickly. So let's say it's like a Shopify, a big commerce, go straight to them instead. Or even if it's like a, a self-hosted site, like a Magento or WooCommerce, you'd want to find Rackspace or, you know, HostGator or wherever they're actually hosting the site and right. file the notice with them. And then how about if it's something like an yes. Amazon, eBay, and someone's taking your listings, would you file the notice with Amazon or eBay type of thing? Or how did that work? Yes. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it depends. You're, you're just looking at where, wherever they're republishing it. And yes, you would go to those, those sources um, and look at them. And it can be anything from, you know, somebody copies parts, parts of your content and puts it in an app. Then you have to go to iTunes, the Apple process, which is slow and painful, but you know, it is there and they eventually get around to it. Hmm. One, one of the things that would just, oh. yes, one of things I would just mention is, is if you're going to create content and put it online, you need to accept that people are going to copy it. Okay. <laughs> you know, if you get outraged every time somebody copies it, yep. you know, you're, you're going to stretch yourself out unnecessarily. It's just part of the web has positives and negatives. One of the negatives is stuff gets copied. And a lot of times, you know, we like to think of some you know, malicious kid in his garage, but a lot of times it's just an automated bot floating around copying things. Um, so, you know, unfortunately it's part of business online. So it's something you're not always going to, you know, go after them for. You just want to kind of be on the lookout, but you know, depending on how egregious it is and how much it's actually affecting you. Yeah. People have a lot of different views on it. You know, I mean, it's, I have some clients who, you know, if they release a product, say a course, you know, they'll fight the good fight for a year or six months or whatever. But then after that, you know, it's just one, it's just not worth it financially. Um, and two, you know, to some extent, it's free publicity because if people find that site and they, you know, that course and they think it's good, you know, they're likely to go look at who it was that created it. <laughs> um, you know, in other cases, you need to just, you, you always need to think of the practical when you think of the legal. So I've represented bands in the past and, you know, they have a seizure because somebody posted a video of their, you know, concert performance. These are not big bands. These are little bands. Uh, you know, their concert performance, you know, and they want to go after them. And I'm reading the description and, you know, the description is, oh, I just discovered these this band, these guys are great. You should listen to these guys. Well, yep. Do we really want to go after a fan? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, like, is it copyright infringement? Eh, you know, technically, but you know, going after your fans generally not a good idea. Uh, you know, so, so, yeah, in some cases, it could be a good thing. That's free publicity. Someone's using your product. Maybe they you you know can't put the shirt um, with some logo on it, and they're just showing that off somewhere else, right? So it's not always right. someone. Yeah, yeah. And in some cases, you have to be a little careful. I mean, you to, if you can't let everything slide, because then there's a question about whether you've, you've done anything to enforce your hmm. yeah to waive your rights under the copyright. So you may want to send them a release saying, hey. You know, we really appreciate you posting the video and getting our name out there. You know, that's great. Just, you know, technically, you know, we want to make sure, you know, that you understand that uh, you know, we're giving you a release to do that. You know, our stupid lawyers requiring it. Explain the lawyer, um, you know, and that kind of thing. And here's a free T-shirt or, you know, we're going to be in show, you know, going to be in town next month. And, you know, here's a free pass. Come by and meet us or something like that. Because frankly, if somebody's going to promote your products or you or your site online, I mean, that's a valuable person. Yep. Um, so you should be, be trying to, uh, you know, develop relationships with those kinds of people. So is this something you'd recommend? So let's say you're a retailer um, and you have these different kind of things happening. Do you have, would you recommend someone working with a lawyer to begin with? And when something like this comes up, you kind of have a quick phone call, send a quick email or like a case by case. So how does this, what sort of, um, what's the engagement like with an actual, between a business and their attorney? And how's that work? Well, the perfect world, yes, you want to work with an attorney from the beginning. Um, you know, well, I mean, if we're honest, cash flow doesn't always allow for that. Um, but, you know, I think when you get to a point when, um, well, the earliest you can do it, definitely talk to an attorney. So that's the, the base legal advice you'll hear from every attorney. The real world advice is, you know, once you, you have money coming in, you know, that you can afford an hour, it's probably going to cost you anywhere between 250 and $400. Um, go talk to an internet lawyer. Um, you look one up in your area. They can be a little tricky to find, but if you go on Google and do a search for internet business lawyer and then run them through Yelp, you usually can get an idea. It's pretty good. Um, and go sit down with that person for an hour and show them what you're doing. 
and, and generally what they will do is create a list for you and say, well, maybe they look at it and say, everything's great. You're fine. You know, go ahead. Alternatively, they'll create a list saying, well, you know, you have all these issues that need to be addressed and here's the priority. And you just work through the priority. Yep. Um, you know, just like any other to-do list, you know, I'm an attorney, I don't know much about accounting and I hate taxes. And so I go to my accountant once a year, twice, twice a year. And, you know, he puts a plan in place so I can minimize my taxes and I just do it. I don't like doing it, but I do it. And that's part of doing business. Um, so I would view it as that kind of, a, a, you know, a process. And then, you know, depending on the lawyer, yeah, you would, you know, have some kind of relationship with them or something like that pops up where, you know, somebody's your content or something you can contact them and just say hey i'm having a problem with this and they look at it and take care hmm. okay i mean most of my clients i'll be honest with you, most of my clients i've i've had one client we were laughing actually i just saw him last week for lunch and i've had him as a client for more than a decade and it was the first time i've seen him in 10 years um just because we do everything by email and you know we're, is that some, most of your clients are kind of just doing everything remotely now or yes okay which is nice. <laughs> yeah, I can, I can imagine. I mean, there's a lot of, uh, you know, even the accountant here and things like that. You know, I've met them all of a couple times maybe. And it's been, you know, via the phone most of the time. Um, any questions, that sort of thing, email. And it's been great. So, Yeah, no. I mean, you know, I maintain an office. Um, I call it a semi-office. I have an office. I'm in San Diego. I have an office in an area called Del Mar um, with a friend who has offices. And I go maybe once a month. Uh, you know, that's just because it just isn't necessary. Um, you know, and I'd love to tell you I'm sitting here, you know, doing this interview dressed in a three-piece suit, <laughs> but I'd be lying. <laughs> <laughs> the, the power of the internet, right? Yes. Ah, <laughs> yeah. Like I said, there's a good things and some bad things. <laughs> <laughs> so then what, what are some of the things? So these are kind of the privacy. These are some of the idea, the topics come up all the time and everyone's kind of aware of. What are some of the lesser known topics that maybe you should, you know, think about that you don't necessarily even come to your attention when you get started? Do you have any kind of? Well, I think one of the biggest things, you know, when you're starting out, um, you know, is, is how many founders do you have? How many people are involved in the startup that are going to have an ownership position? You know, it's a, it's a strange question, perhaps, when we first think about it. But um, the issue that you have is um, when you start up and you, let's say, you form an LLC or you form a corporate, even just a partnership, you don't do anything. Um, you know, you have two or three people. Uh, everybody's excited. Everybody's motivated. And everybody thinks it's going to be a wild success after 30 days and, you know, women, limos and the whole deal. And the reality is that never happens or very, very, very rarely happens. Oh, it doesn't? So, yeah, I know. No. <laughs> Breaking news. Yep. Uh, so what happens is at, you know, everybody's excited and fired up. At month six, two guys are excited and fired up and one guy can't stand the other guy. And, you know, it starts, you start having issues with ownership. One of the most important things is to put or you launch a business is to put together an agreement, founders agreements, agreement, an operating agreement, whatever you want to call it, but something that addresses ownership and when people qualify for the ownership, what their duties are, what happens if they stop showing up, um, you know, if they start performing and those kinds of things. There are a huge number of businesses out there that never did this and they have what I like to call those hobby partner and it's a partner that the other owners hate. And, and that person knows it until yep. that person shows up, you know, maybe half a week or doesn't show up at all. And they still cut him a check and they still, you know, give him his piece of, of profit on, you know, uh, based on ownership. And the reason being, because if there's no written document and you have to go to court to try to get that person out, he, nobody's going to end up happy. And yep. you're going to spend a ton of money because what's going to happen, you're going to default to state laws. The state laws are written by people that often haven't ever run a business for and they're written very generally because they're trying to account for all kinds of businesses so you can think an internet business is a hell of a lot different than you know waste business um, and so the rules are just nasty and unpleasant and ugly and every I've, in fact if somebody comes to me with one of the cases it is so grim that i will not take that case i don't care how much money they offer me because i've done it before and regretted it every time yep. um yeah it's just it's a divorce it is literally a divorce child is the business so and it's something it is, though at the beginning uh, if you're you know focusing on it you can kind of 
before it happens is one of those things uh you know after the fact it's not the thing you should be focusing on but if you kind of get to it you know when everyone's uh still friendly and still happy and still cordial then that's kind of the time you can sit down and actually look at this with a level head right and the key important thing to understand is at that point everybody's still friendly and there's no money yep and there's no potential uh you know and so if you sign that now let's say you have that agreement and let's say six months down the line, two guys want to go in one direction with the business. You know, the other guy wants to go the other direction and it's getting ugly and it just becomes apparent. It can't aid. Well, at that point we'll walk into court. Well, we don't even walk into court. You know, one party that is just going to serve a letter on the other one saying, here's what our agreement says. And, you know, we're invoking this and, you know, we'll pay you or whatever. And then at that point negotiations happen, but they're happening around the structure. And, you know, that person leaves. If they if it doesn't work out, then you go into court and the judge says, well, do you have anything in writing uh, to address this? And you say, yes. And the judge sighs in great relief and because he doesn't know anything about your business. Um, you know, and you put that document up there and then the judge says, well, it says this, this, and this. And that's your signature on the bottom, right? Yes. Well, you know, hereby, hereby order. Boom. I mean, obviously, it's more complex than that. But the point is that you get through it quickly. Yep. You have something writing. And if you don't have any of that, you get up there and you have. A 65-year-old gentleman or, or a lady judge who doesn't know anything about your business, and they're going to decide how it's going to be divided up and how it's going to be run. Yep. And so you can imagine that's usually not a good result. Probably something you don't want. You and the founders want to decide uh, together instead of having a third party decide for you later on. Right. Yeah. I mean, I've literally, I've literally had. I, I can't even. Tell, I had a friend that went through this just recently, and it came down to finding a new person to invest in the company, and that person. So angry uh, at the person they were trying to purchase the interest from that they eventually went up to their door with 50 grand in cash and said, Look, you either sign it and take this, or I'm leaving and, you know, beep, beep, beep you. And (laughs) then the guy took the money. And he left. And the funny thing was, two months earlier, he could have gotten three times that. Yeah. Okay. So it's something sooner rather than later. It's definitely the the time for that. So even if you're already established and you're running, but you're still cordial and that sort of thing. It's not too late to start thinking about this now. Um, you know, before there's actually no, no, kind of definitely it's, yeah, you definitely want to do it before the meltdown, even if you have already <laughs> started, you know, now the, the, the careful thing, thing you have to be careful about is it can cause the meltdown. Yep. Um, because if everybody has ideas in their mind about how things are going to play out and suddenly, you know, you realize that what you thought was going to happen isn't what, you know, the other person thought, well, you know, that's, that can that can lead to problems. So, um, and then there's a couple other things just from um, the internet side. They're a bit more internet oriented. Um, if you have a retail site and you're selling something, you're selling products, um, you need to have people check a box during the checkout process that says yes, I agree to the terms and conditions and privacy policy of this site. Okay, and that's during the um, checkout process. Right, right. And you'll okay. see this on some sites. And you don't see it on others, which is pretty surprising. Um, what has happened is in 2000, when the web was launching and all was wonderful and we were all going to be billionaires, uh, you had a bunch of 60, 70 year old judges who couldn't set up their own email. Uh, fast forward to 2017, 2018, and now all the people who were, you know, were kids using the web uh, in 2000 are judges. And they, they understand that just putting a link at the bottom of a site that says terms and conditions and privacy policy, that nobody scrolls down there and looks at them. And so the modern trend in the courts is they're not going to hold your customers liable or they're going to hold them to those documents because nobody ever saw them. Uh, and so you want to have um, that check the box process and you want to make sure it creates a log you know, for each transaction because that is effectively like a signature, if you will, for a contract or something of that sort. And if you don't have that, your terms and your privacy policy will often not be enforceable. And that's important. And I realize terms and conditions and privacy policies are perhaps the most subject any of you ever think about talking about but these documents are important they're they're in your favor they're there to um, help you um, prevent lawsuits and they're there to make sure that when it comes to sell your business that you have uh, the ability to do that and that leads us to a second common problem that you see with retail sites and e-commerce sites your privacy policy Uh, everybody likes to put this clause in their privacy policy that says something along the lines of we will not sell, share, or rent your personal information. We won't spam you, blah, 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 blah. Yep. Very noble idea. Uh, the problem is, if you ever want to sell that business, one of the assets of it is your client list or your email list. So how uh, are you okay. going to sell it 
if you yes. just promise not to sell, share, or transfer that. I think this is a weird lawyer thing that I came up with, but actually dating sites are crashing and burning trying to sell themselves because they have this clause. And there's a dating site called true.com. It's kind of the infamous case. And uh, true.com is owned by a parent company that owns some other businesses and had problems went into bankruptcy. So true.com was dragged into it. Another dating site you probably heard of called Plenty of Fish came along wanted yep. to buy the database. They offered $700,000. And attorney generals in a variety of states objected to the sale in the bankruptcy court, saying, you know, that uh, True.com had not to sell, share, or rent the, the user's information. And the court upheld that objection. Oh, wow. And so 700 grand went down the drain. Now, a dating site, the only thing valuable on a dating site, besides maybe the name, is the database of yep. users. And if you can't sell that, your dating site is worth Nada. Uh, well, <laughs> in e-commerce, similar idea, right? You generate a list of, you know, past buyers and every month you're kind of hitting them up with a newsletter, that sort of thing. And a lot of times that, you know, that is your asset. Um, monthly, being able to kind of talk to them, let them know sales and that sort of thing. So if you can't transfer that, then that's a very large deal. It is. It is. It's horrible. Yeah. And I'll give you a crystal ball view of an attorney that has uh, no factual basis. But if I had to bet... Um, what's coming in the future? I would bet your email list where you generate, you know, join our newsletter. I would bet that within 10 to 15 years, those will be gone. Hmm. Uh, just because of the way the laws are, are playing out on the privacy front. Um, but what will still exist is your customer list. So people who purchased from you, you'll okay. still be able to email them. And that list is going to become incredibly valuable. Um, you know, much like you see on TV now, um, you know, I don't know about you, but I'm, if you're like most people now, you have a DVR and nobody watches the commercials. Um, you know, and you wonder, wow, why do they even have commercials? But if you watch a sporting event, uh, you know, these, these entities, the publishing companies, everything else will pay huge amounts of money for those rights. Because when people watch sports, you know, they tend to watch it in real time or close to real time. And so they see the commercials. You know, it's just a fundamental change that you see in the advertising on TV. I think you're going to see that on the web. Okay. So, but if, it's, marketing. but if it's something that they've purchased from you, is that different than somebody who's just signed up for your newsletter or are those kind of treated the same? Yes. No, yes. Because in that situation, the question is what consent? How do you have consent to reach these people? Right. And typically the one area of consent that they always allow is um, if you have a business relationship with them. Because think about it from my perspective, I'm an attorney. You know, I communicate with my clients by email. How, how could they ever prevent that? Yep. You know, they can't. I mean, that, that's just a fundamental, you know, you and I exchange emails before, you know, the show. You, you have to have that. I mean, there has yep. to be some form of, otherwise we don't have any email, uh, you know, except for personal contacts. So that's almost always going to be allowed. It's hard to see how they would ever not allow that. I think what they're going to trim down on is in a situation where, you know, get my free book and leave you know and leave your email and then i will you know hit you with email messages every second day you know, spam for you for the rest of, life. of your life yeah right. yeah even so and we've seen this in, we, and we've seen this in the past few years right with it, go, it went from they could just get your email and hit you up every day to then you know double opt-in and you know having to have an unscribe link and it's kind of got more and more strict over um you know the past 10 years or so but you kind of see it even going further than that right well, in other countries, yeah, in other countries, you know, again, it depends on your market. In other countries, you know, it's really kind of a dead concept. In Canada, you know, marketing is very difficult to do, very difficult. They, they passed just a brutal law, um, I want to say 2015. Uh, and then, you know, again, going back to GDPR, what you're seeing coming out in the EU, you know, marketing to uh, the EU is just going to be really, really difficult, um, you know, from an email perspective. Now, you can do it still, but it's... You know, the check the box I was talking about when somebody purchases a product from me with the GDPR, you're essentially going to need that just to get permission to email them. Um, you know, you're going to need consent. And the, the GDPR is so bizarre um, that when you land on a site, so let's say you land on a site um, that's trying to comply with the GDPR, the first thing you're going to see is a pop-up. And the pop-up is going to tell you all the different ways they collect personal information and who they're sharing it with. And then you're supposed to check boxes you know, agreeing or not agreeing to which types of information sharing you want. Hmm. And so you're going to end up with this web. <laughs> was, yeah. You know, I mean, and here's the problem is that all the jurisdictions are, are issuing new and different laws. And I'd be just brutally honest with you, you complied with all the laws around the world on these things. Your website, when it pulled up the home page, you wouldn't even be able to see the home page. <laughs> we just be able to see check boxes. Be, 
Yeah, and disclaimers yep. and warnings and disclosures. And you go to your checkout, you know, God forbid you actually get to the site and want to buy something. And then you go to the checkout page, um, you know, you're going to have, you know, it's going to be 80 percent disclaimers, warnings, declarations, blah, 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 blah. Um, You know, and it's so it's unfortunately the empire is striking back and who knows where it all ends up. Um, but yeah, it's, it's definitely kind of a scary time right now from that perspective. Um, but anyways, make sure that, you know, that, that privacy policy, the way you get around that issue with the privacy policy is you also include a clause that says, however, should this business be sold, uh, at any point in the future, your personal information will be part of the asset. So that's something uh, you can yeah. include in there and you should include in there. It sounds like. Yes. Okay. Yes. It's also a warning as to why when you go out and you, you buy free, well, you buy, you copy, you, know, you download, whatever. Um, excuse me, free terms and conditions or privacy policies or you use a privacy policy generator or any of those kinds of things, man, you're just taking your life in your hands. Um, none of these things cover any, none of those documents ever cover any of this stuff. <clears throat> you know, and unfortunately sometimes you learn about it, you know, in a bad situation where somebody's filed a legal claim. So, hmm. <clears throat> And that sounds like something too. At when the user is actually accepting uh, accepting privacy policy X, you probably also want to be segmenting your um, email list so that you know, um, you know, user A accepted this version of the privacy policy. There was revision two, and this user accepted that. Um, but also segment between these are just folks that have signed up for like a newsletter versus an actual customer sort of thing. So really have your email list kind of segmented so you know who's agreed to what at what time sort of thing. So you can yes. you need to track all the data as well. You do now, yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, it's not in the U.S., but yes, in, in Europe, I mean, you know, the problem with the GDPR is, you know, again, does it extend to us? You know, for smaller sites, you know, a lot of people are looking at their data and saying, okay, well, I get traffic. Well, traffic's great and all, do you get sales? Uh, and if you get, you know, sales from the EU, then, you know, you need to comply. You also need to be paying VAT, you know, yep. value-added tax in the EU. Uh, and, you know, a lot of people aren't doing that. But if you look at your sales and you see I only get one sale a year out of the EU or something like that, something nominal, you know, a lot of people are looking at geoblocking. Mm. And geoblocking is simply, you know, precluding traffic from those areas. <coughs> and, um, you know, I mean, unfortunately, I think that's where the Internet is headed. I'm not the only one that thinks this. Or a lot of people have talked about this, you know, that we're going to see the web divided up, at least economically, you know, into regions. Because, you know, it's going to cost me $25,000, $50,000 to comply with, uh, you know, the GDPR and I get 200 bucks in sales a year. Well, you know, you fill in the various cuss words you'd like to, you know, add for the idea of complying with that. Isn't it easier just to block um, any of that traffic? Okay. Yeah. And so if you, you do could... that, you know, well, okay. yeah, and if you do that and they still try to come after you, I can guarantee you if you're blocking all traffic from the EU and the EU tries to enforce some kind of penalty against you in the U.S., the judge is probably going to have come close to having a heart attack from laughing at them. <laughs> um, so, uh, you know, so and I, I give you an example. This stuff is already starting. So Canada, for instance, passed a, a law called the uh, you have a right to be forgotten. And what that means is, you know, mug shots, all these kinds of things that you don't like online. Well, in Europe and in Canada, you can make a request to Google, let's say. And say, you know, somebody's listing my mugshot. That was 20 years ago. Please remove that. And under that law, um, Google has to remove it. It's called the right to be forgotten. Yep. And that can be a good thing, bad thing. Just kind of depends on what your your view of it is. Um, and they will review it. And so what the Supreme Court in Canada said last year um, was to Google, because Google was still listing those contents in the U.S. And they said to Google, you have to remove them from the U.S. listings. And Google said, no, you don't have any jurisdiction in the U.S. Yep. You can't tell us what to do in the U.S. And so it went to the courts in the U.S. and the court in the U.S. And, you know, we can all you know, look to the flag here in pride, said, you know, piss off Canada, basically. And, <laughs> you know, this is our jurisdiction. We'll do what we want here. Yep. Um, you know, but what you're going to see for the next 10 years is this fight between all these different groups. Where one country is trying to censor another company's kind of version of the internet, basically. Yeah, and you're seeing it breaking up. You know, the yeah. even talked about, you know, with the BRIC countries starting their own internet that the U.S. would have no access to. Um, and companies, a lot of people don't realize companies are already being forced into these choices, big companies. So, <coughs> excuse me, in, in China, you know, you can't use Skype. Hmm. You yep. have no Skype in China. 
Russia, LinkedIn is blocked or was for a while. I don't know if it still is just because LinkedIn, you know, Russia said, if you want to collect personal information from our citizens, you have to have servers here in the country of Russia that has that information. And you could play the ominous music behind that, um, you know, and whip out 1984 <laughs> and, you know, so on and so forth. And that's just kind of, you know, the nature of what was, you know, going on there. China's trying to get rid of the anonymity. Um, you know, there's a diff- completely different law in, you know, other countries for copyright, um, EU again is passing another email law that's going to come into effect. Um, you know, two nineteen. They're thinking. I'd love to tell you something about it, but they haven't actually drafted it yet. They're just waving it around as a threat for some reason. Um, and and that's what you're going to see is people starting to partition into these different areas. And um, you know, as a retailer, you, you know you you make some tough decisions sometimes and look at your business model and think, well, you know, what do I do? Um, something interesting that Google has done is they've they obviously have their U.S. out. But one of the reasons they formed Alphabet, despite all their explanations, was they're looking at the legal issue. And so what Alphabet does is it actually has kicked out Google Spain, Google, you know, these other areas that are problematic, and tried to separate it off. And those jurisdictions are trying to fight back, and they're saying, well, it's really just a subsidy, so it's still you know part of Alphabet. And Google's going, no, and you know, you're having <laughs> these fights. And you even get fights with economic units. So Ireland has always been promoting itself to U.S. companies, tech companies, as, as a tax-favorable environment to do business in the EU. And so Apple and all these companies are over there. And this year or last year, uh, you know, the EU issued a fine to Apple of so many billions of dollars for unpaid taxes in Ireland. And Ireland is fighting with the EU saying, no, you know, th- those taxes aren't due um, because it's Ireland's economic life for those companies. Because if yeah. those companies aren't getting an advantage in Ireland, they're sure as heck not going to be there. Hmm. Um, and so you literally have the economic union fighting with itself. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> so. There is a overwhelming amount to look out for here. Yeah, like, there is. Huh. Okay. So then I guess from here, let's say you're a small, you know, e-commerce entrepreneur, you're listening to this, um, you know, you're overwhelmed, kind of just like me, your head spinning, all these different regulations, everything coming down the line. What would you kind of recommend is next steps to do from here? And let's say, you know, you might be semi-incompliant of some of these things. You're not really sure, um, you know, your privacy policy, you're not really sure if your little checkbox at checkout is up to date, um, what the privacy policy actually really looks like. Um, your exposure to um, the GDPR, anything like that. Let's say you're just unsure. What kind of are the next steps of what you'd recommend? I go sit down with a, an internet lawyer, you know, in your in your state. I mean, I'm in California. I don't practice in other states, so you're gonna have to find somebody local to you and show them what you're doing, and tell them you heard this, you know, bizarre guy on you know the show that was talking about all these different <laughs> things, and and you know what do you need to be concerned about, and so on and so forth, um, and you you know get a list and again, he'll create priorities. You know, it may well be. So the GDPR, for instance, everybody, everything you read online says, if you collect any information from, you know, even a single citizen, the GDPR, you have to comply. And that's just wrong. Yep. These people, they're, they're publishing these articles, lawyers, they don't know what the hell they're talking about. What the GDPR says is if you have to comply, if um, you have a website and you are offering services or um, products, even free, to um, uh, the G- uh, to the European Union, to people in the European Union. Uh, and it's just people located there. And then there's this discussion of what that means. And and it's not, the G- European Union is not taking the position that if, you know, there's a site in China selling Chinese antiquities and some guy from London, you know, gets drunk one night, slaps his visa down and orders, you know, 45 antiquities from this, this site that it has to comply with the GDPR. You know, it obviously doesn't. So yeah. what they're looking at are issues like, you know, do you have, um, you know, phone number, international phone numbers? Do you allow, you know, people to check out using uh, the currency of the EU or any of the EU countries? You know, and there are all these factors. And so you have to look at them. Um, and so a lot of this stuff, and I realize it's scary, and I always regret saying some of the things I do on shows because it does scare <laughs> people. The point, the point isn't to scare you. The point is to alert you that you should go talk to somebody. Yep. And just make sure. So go spend the hour. A lot of them will give it to you for free. <laughs> okay. Honestly, yeah, that's for, a that first consultation type of thing. Right. And yep. just show them what you're doing. And they can go and create a list. And what I do with my clients is it's always the, oh, crap, 
you know, and these are the subjects we need to deal with now. Take down that photo, take down that photo, um, yep. you know, uh, and then, you know, here's a list of things and, you know, from worrisome to not worrisome to something you should get to, you know, hopefully before you die. Um, with the GDPR, I realized it's scary. It scares me with my big clients. Um, but the reality is if you're a small retailer, the chances of them, you know, picking you out of everybody when May 25th hits, you know, could it happen? Sure. Um, is it going to happen? Unlikely. Yep. A lot of these countries haven't even put together their enforcement groups yet. Um, so, you know, it's, <laughs> it's be, but it yep. is something, it's something out there that needs, you know, you need to address. If nothing else, you need to at least address um, address it on the exterior of your site, what I call the exterior site, meaning that if somebody is in the EU, a, a regulator representative, and they look at your site, you know, if you're going to be GDPR, um, you know, compliant, they're going to expect to see a couple of things like a pop-up, you know, asking yep. for consent. So if you have that, you know, then they're probably, there's so many people that aren't going to have it that, you know, I don't know why they would pick on you necessarily. And you'll, you'll have um, made somewhat of an effort to kind of do the right thing that, uh, you know, hopefully... You're at least moving in that direction. They respect that. Yeah, most of the countries in the EU, <clears throat> most of the member states, what you find is if you are making a good faith effort, I just don't go slap anything up. I mean, you know, you have to make a good effort uh, and you do that. Then often in the past, what I've had come in are warning letters. Okay. Uh, and, and, and not even warning in the sense of we're going to pound you into the ground if you don't make these changes. It's just like, you know, here's the law. Um, you know, you may not be aware of this and, you know, we're concerned that this may be an issue with your site. So it's not even like, you know, we're going to burn you to the ground. Um, and, and, you know, because really ultimately what a lot most of the countries are interested in is is helping their citizens protect their privacy. And that's that's fine. I don't have any problem with that. There are some countries, France, again, Germany. You like to get a little aggressive. Um, so, you know, hopefully you don't run into anything with them. However, with those countries, they tend to really focus on the big dogs. Like, for instance, they really, really hate Google. Um, and so, you know, they spend a vast amount of their <laughs> their budget just just making Google's life miserable in Europe. Um, and so, I mean, they've blocked Gmail. They've, they've done all kinds of nasty stuff. Um, so, you know, the hope is that the Focus on the big guys again. Get big marks, you know, so that everybody goes and tries to comply. Um, yep. And that's typically what happens. Of course, you know, who knows? But um, so sitting down with the lawyer again and just talking to him about here's my site, here's what I do, here's here are my traffic stats, and here are my sales stats, uh, and here's where I'm getting stuff. What do I need to do? And, and here are my sales broken up by say so here are my sales broken up by region too, U.S. You know, state by state, country by country, that sort of thing. So they kind of get an idea of the exposure you have to each region. Yes, yeah. you know, exactly. And, you know, it's a, a joke I've told many times on online and on different shows and what have you is, you know, I had a client once I got a tax uh, from Romania, nasty, nasty letter, and they were demanding, you know, that we pay a certain amount of tax. And, you know, I looked at it and the client was freaked and, you know, I just metaphorically, you know, wound up my middle <laughs> finger and pointed it in the general direction of Romania and said, you know, yeah, come get us. Yep. Uh, nothing ever happened, you know, just because, you know, no, I'm not advising you to do that. And let's just be clear. This is not a course conduct. <laughs> legal advice for your tax situation. Um, you know, don't do that. Make sure you talk to a lawyer and let them raise the finger. Uh, but, you know, there's just situations sometimes where you just roll your eyes and, you know, in the real world, there's no reason to get panicked over it. Um, but the GDPR is something that's, that's very serious um, that you are going to have to deal with. It's just a fundamental change in the Internet. Um, so make sure you sit down with somebody and say to them, what do I need to do? And then you make it their problem. Okay. Well, I definitely, uh, yeah, that sounds like a great recommendation. So hopefully, um, everyone listening to this kind of hears that. And if they can find a local attorney or, um, you're in California, so anyone in California, um, how would they actually get in contact with you? And if someone wants to reach out to you directly, what will kind of be the next steps? Sure. You can reach me through my uh, website, which is SoCal, like Southern California, SoCalInternetLawyer.com. Um, email, even through the weekend sometimes. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. I'm also on LinkedIn. It's just Richard A. Chapo. Um, you can do a search for me on Google to find me. However, there is a rather nasty Mexican drug lord who used the nickname <laughs> El Chapo. That's inconvenient. Oh, cool. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. So when you do the search and you see DEA listings and FBI results, so that's, that's, that's not that's me. Not okay. I, yeah, I swear it's not me. Uh, <laughs> but if you do a search for Richard Chapo, I should pop up as well. 
we'll also include that in the show notes. So no confusion with the uh, Mexican drug law, drug lord <laughs> and yourself. So we'll uh, yes, we'll make sure to link directly to your site. I keep waiting for people to show up, and start shooting me or something. But uh, yes, hopefully not. <laughs> okay, well, we will try our best to uh, to link that up here, so that does not happen. So I definitely right. appreciate you uh, taking your time today, Richard. Um, I think that was super helpful. Um, we'll add your um, info to the show notes. So if anyone wants to find you um, and if any listeners are, listeners are in California and you want to get in contact with Richard, um, definitely recommend that you do that. Um, and Richard, thank you very much for being on the show today. Definitely appreciate that. Thank you for having me on. All right. Thank you. Talk to you soon. This was the business of e-commerce episode eight. This is Charles Plosky, and hope to hope to talk to you soon. Thanks. Have a good one.